This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wongal people and the Yagara Turrbal peoples. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Strap in. Buckle up. It's story time, folks. This is Australiana Rama. Warning, this episode includes some swearing and some crocodiles. Okay. You ready to learn about Humpty Doo? Uh, yeah. Don't know her. I know her quite well now. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, hilariously, I was writing this at the like the co-working space at my gym yesterday and I was wearing my Humpty Doo jumper and I didn't quite clock like I was writing about Humpty Doo wearing my jumper looking up things and I sort of looked like a lunatic to anyone walking past yeah <laughs> like multiple tabs up anyway and I was like this is not intentional <laughs> Humpty Doo's biggest fan yeah so about 30 minutes drive out from the Darwin CBD on the Arnhem Highway lies a town called Humpty Doo woo Yay! With a population of approximately four and a half thousand people, Humpty Doo is somewhat of a truck stop for local commuters and tourists alike, as it is the main passageway to the Kakadu National Park, as well as also like quite a lot of agricultural areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very much a place where the wet season and the dry season is a thing. So from December through April, it's high rainfall, monsoon season, you know. Crazy humidity, cyclones, thunderstorms, blah, 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 blah. And then the dry season is May to October, which is low humidity, cold overnight, but then sunny during the day and just basically no rainfall. Okay. Pleasant. Yeah. 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 Having been in Darwin on and off a fair bit recently, I was like, oh, yeah, like there's literally no rain the dry Mm. season. It's not like, oh, a little bit of rain. It's like, no, no. No dry. Hmm. Yeah. To the point where the kids I was working with, one of the kids was like, oh, that's a cloud over there. Is it going to rain? And another kid was like, it's dry season, you idiot. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Okay. I won't make the same mistake. <laughs> so <laughs> no one, yeah, I know. She was really quiet, like, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so no one is quite sure how the place got the name Humpty Doo. Which okay, is well, that answers my question, hilarious. but also does not answer my question. <laughs> I, right? But there are several theories. So mm-hmm. the first recording of the name somewhat appears in 1910 as Umpity Doo, and that was on a survey <laughs> plan of an agricultural lease of a station, which was held by Oscar Herbert. Okay. Yeah, so, he, like, he builds a station or, like, gets the rights to build a station and on it is written umpity do. Okay. <sighs> but, yeah, but there are the theories around why the station was called umpity do mm-hmm. include the army slang term, which is umpity, which is for um, the dash that is used in Morse code when reading Morse code. Oh. However, yeah, however, people think that maybe isn't likely because that, 
wasn't starting to be used until 1917 and the station was named in 1910. So that's been disproved. But a lot of people had that theory because there is a history of um, military in the area. Mm. Or another theory is that it's derived from a colloquialism, Humpty Dumpty, to describe everything done wrong or upside down, Mm -hmm. which when we go through the history of the place (laughs) might make a bit more sense. Mm. And then the other theory, which is potentially one of the most popular ones, is that the place was known as Amdadu, which is an English language corruption of an Aboriginal word undid, which means a popular resting place. Mm, This is what I was going to ask. Yeah. That seems more likely. And maybe it's a combo. Yeah, it it could very well be a combo. It could have been that and then over history when weird things have happened, they've gone, oh, Humpty Dumpty, Amity, Humpty Do. Well, like some some things just do work, like like Alzheimer's sounds a bit like old timers. It's a disease for old people, but that's not that's it by accident. Uh, I had never thought of that, but mm. now that's going to be living rent free in my mind forever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the station was called Ampadidu, and then the township itself later adopts this name, which then turns to Humpadidu, adding mm-hmm. the H and removing the Ippity over okay. time. So, <laughs> so here cool. we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cast your mind back to the history of the land. So the traditional custodians of the land are the Jeramanga or the Wulna people. They, depending on who you ask, they use either of those names. Mm-hmm. And their lands have been recognised as stretching from the current site of Humpty Doo easterly towards the Adelaide River wetlands, which is Crocodile Central, by the way. Mm-hmm. Saw some while I was there. Amazing. The dinosaurs of the sea. Yeah, how big how big are they the ones that you saw? How big were they in relation to you? The biggest one we saw, I think, was almost three meters, but they get bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Pretty hectic. I'll put some pictures or some videos on the gram. Great. That'll be good. Um, Yeah. Yeah. European colonists arrived during the nineteenth century on a 1864 expedition led by Boyle Travers Finnis and by 1869, five years later, Surveyor General of South Australia, George Goiter divided the land in the area into 26-kilometre square allotments. So for those who don't know, um, Northern Territory was kind of this weird part of South Australia, which I know doesn't make any sense, but the way that the states were divided up over various phases of colonisation means that that middle strip of Australia was actually like one chunk for Mm. a while and then the territory became its own thing later. But, yeah, hence why the surveyor of South Australia made his way up there. But, yeah, so these allotments that the, the surveyor general had allocated but then subdivided into smaller allotments and made available to settlers. So in the 1870s and 1880s, German botanist Dr. Maurice Holtz carried out experiments in the area and also Darwin more broadly, and essentially he was exploring the region's ability to grow tropical crops. Okay. Yeah. But just remember that it's like 
That's like probably dry season is a V dry. <laughs> it's just always like it's a bit worrying when it's like a colonist is doing an experiment. This is the less scary experiment that they could be doing. Yeah, there are others that come though, so that's mm, fun. That's <laughs> so the idea was that the area was potentially going to be a bit of a fruit bowl, kind of mm. like the Lockyer Valley to Brisbane. Yeah, but that does not really happen. Because uh, the seasons are so yeah. extreme. Because the the wet season would be quite um, suitable potentially, mm. but it's also like it's flooding, monsoons, and so crops yeah. get damaged and those kinds of things. Like it's a very difficult area to grow things. So then following the discovery of gold near Pine Creek in the 1880s, um, there's a huge influx of Chinese miners to the Northern Territory. So lots of the immigrants that were down south move up and then more people are moving into the port. And mm-hmm. so the Northern Territory actually has a huge history of immigration. If you go there, it's a really, really multicultural area um, and Asian immigration in particular, particular. And during this period, yeah, during the gold rush, there was lots of Chinese immigrants And so they move out into this area to start mining for gold and other resources, and that leads to a higher demand for food crops such as rice. And so they then um, start planting rice plains in the the floodplains near Humpty Doo to try and meet the demand. Yeah. And so there's quite a lot of experimenting like between European and also – Chinese immigrants in the area around the various different crops that could be grown. So they try growing sugarcane, coffee, rubber, um, but a lot of these didn't work out. Some of them did though. There are still crops in the area, but it's very specific stuff. And then they also start experimenting with livestock as well. And so the idea was that the Adelaide River could have become a loading facility for all of this stuff. So this river kind of runs through the area and they'd be able to ship things along the river, dodge the crocodiles mm-hmm. <laughs> to Darwin and also kind of through to Queensland and beyond and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. Mm. However. In theory, it's not a terrible <laughs> idea, but I'm guessing in, in theory, practice that it was. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so – And also like once the mineral resources are starting to become more depleted in that particular area, you know, migration shifts and anyway, and there's also like various racial tensions that exist Mm. in the area. So by 2018, um, Asian migrants actually overtake United Kingdom migrants in the Northern Territory. So now like it's, Mm. it's more common for people from various parts of Asia to be moving, but at the time... They were the minority. Mm. So you can imagine, you know, the kinds of things that would play out. Yeah. And also, like, during the gold rush, a lot of the migrants were not necessarily opting into these scenarios to come over. So, Mm. yes, yes, various tensions related to climate, weather, and race (laughs) happening in the area. (laughs) And also none of these people are the First Nations people that were there as well. Yeah. So by 1887, plantations on the floodplains start to become abandoned due to the financial difficulties um, of the landowners. So that's only like a five-year period. Mm. So despite this, though, the rubber trees and coffee shows potential 
Mm -hmm. They even start exporting a little bit of coffee to Melbourne, so you're welcome. Um, But even then, that starts to fail as well, and then it's by 1910 that this settlement is known by Ampati Du. So this is kind of over a 20, 30-year period. And so then, like, that kind of dies down. But then by 1954, after some experimentation by the CSIRO, um, <laughs> a, joint, <laughs> yes, a joint Australia-US company, which was called Territory Rice, is formed and they plan to irrigate the area around the Adelaide River to produce rice. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of come in with a bit more scientific knowledge and try to do the thing and expand it out even more. Um, this also does not <laughs> work very well. Mm-hmm. And so in by the, like, a couple years after that, there's an RAF airfield construction that happens um, and they actually build this place called Frog Dam, which is the water that will kind of service this area. Mm. However, the plan completely fails. So there's an invasion of geese that come in (laughs) and destroy a bunch of the crops. Um, The soil was way too salty in the area, Mm -hmm. which if anyone's been there, like all you've got to do is spend two minutes on the river to be like, oh, mangroves are plenty. Like Mm. this is, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like where saltwater and freshwater meets, um, Mm. which is also why there's like saltwater crocodiles and freshies that meet as well, which is a whole other episode. Mm. Um, And there's also an insufficient amount of drainage in the soil, again, because it's a really dry area. So, yeah. (laughs) So, like, water isn't just going to kind of fall through the soil. Anyway, Mm. so all of this combined. Uh, uh, the the company, yeah, I know. <laughs> the company gives up the land to the government in 1962, which wow. is not that much later. And then because of this, the rice paddy fields are abandoned completely. And that fog dam still exists and it just becomes a bird protection district. Oh, the geese take avid, over. Yeah, and avid bird watchers today still go as a tourist attraction okay yeah but anyway like it was pretty cool like when I was there a few weeks ago um which feels like five years ago but a few weeks ago we were driving through and I was like are those rice patties like that looks like not that I've been to them in person but I've seen them Mm. on tv and stuff like that and I was like this looks like rice fields like what what is going on? And then I was also like, are those buffalo? Like, what is happening? <laughs> like, we were driving through and I was like, guys, these look like rice fields. And Jeremy was like, yeah, what? <laughs> and then it was during this research that I was like, oh, they actually did try to grow rice here. So you mm. still like, obviously the rice is not there anymore, but you can see the allotments. But mm. now it's just buffalo hanging out in the paddy fields. Good for yeah. them. Yeah, and also a buttload of wedgetail eagles, which is really, really cool. Cool. So they're part of the bird conservation as well. So there's Mm. just eagles, buffalo, and abandoned rice paddies, and then orange desert. Like it's pretty interesting. I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, neither did I until Mm. very recently. 
And so, yeah, they basically, they forfeit all of this land to the government because they're like, we've fucked it once, we've fucked it twice, we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse my language. Um, In 1967, local resident Neville Skews opens up a small store on Mount Bundy Road, which is now the Arnhem Highway, and at this time there's very little development in the area, so it's mostly bushland and then these abandoned kind of agricultural sites. Mm. But then four years later in 1971, he obtains a liquor licence and turns this shop into the Humpty Doo Hotel Motel. Is this Neville? Good for him. Yeah, yeah, Neville and his wife, who is not named. Uh, so the, the opening of the hotel coincides with development of the road and so more people are moving further out from the Darwin CBD but also um, more tourists are coming and using the road along the area. So it's kind of like perfect timing that he opens this thing. Mm. The Humpty Doo Hotel is the main attraction of the area to this day but we'll get to that. And so then uh, on December 24th, 1974, seven years later, Cyclone Tracy hits Darwin, wreaking havoc for three days, including Christmas and Boxing Day. It kills 71 people and destroys more than 70% of Darwin's buildings, including 80% of houses. So if, yeah, if you go to Hmm. Darwin now, like you can see that most of the buildings have been built from like the 80s and 90s onwards and also Mm. that most of the buildings have steel infrastructure Um, Mm. and so there aren't many buildings from before that time. However, the Humpty Doo Hotel survives completely intact. Wow. Yeah. In 1982, the Royal Australian Navy opens the Humpty Doo Transmitting Station. So this is to replace a facility that was destroyed by Cyclone Tracy um, closer to the city. Mm-hmm. And then that station supports the Royal Navy base that is um, at the port in the CBD. Okay. Yeah, so links links to the military start to emerge, mm-hmm. which is probably why people think that the um, the name comes from Morse code, mm. even though that's that happens much, much later, yeah. so it's probably unlikely. And then in 1987, the big boxing croc was commissioned. The who now? The big boxing croc. Okay. Is this mm-hmm. a big statue of some kind of a crocodile wearing uh-huh. boxing gloves? Yep. Picture the big boxing kangaroo. Well, the boxing kangaroo, but make it a giant crocodile. Is it standing up? Yep, on its hind legs. How big is it? 13 metres. What is it made of? Fibreglass. Okay. Um, Mm. Do you have a picture for the Instagram? I certainly do. I certainly do. Um, It is now. My other question, why? Well, it's funny that you ask, <laughs> Jessica. So <laughs> uh, basically this bloke gets this idea mm-hmm. that Tale as old as time. Yeah, needs another iconic place. Yep. And he commissions <laughs> this thing. So he like mm. I think he actually like advertises it and a few people bet to kind of, you know, do make this mm. thing, which is hilarious. And then 
the design that was selected is inspired by the boxing kangaroo logo that was mm. used in Australia's um, bid for the America's Cup and then obviously like becomes an Olympic icon as well. Mm, okay. However, it was heinously expensive to make. So he commissions mm-hmm. a Sydney company to build this crocodile out of fiberglass <laughs> and they needed to build something that would withstand cyclones. Mm. And so this crocodile that's just out the front of a petrol station cost $137,000 in a- 1987. So in current money that would be, you know, maybe half a mil. I don't know. That math probably isn't quite right. but It's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Okay. So that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in the 1990s, Slim Dusty writes the Humpty Doo Waltz inspired by the area. Mm-hmm. And in the year 2000, Ted Egan writes The Man from Humpty Doo. Is that a song? Yep, they are both songs. Okay. Um, yeah, so the area starts to kind of gain national notoriety as this mm. like weird place to kind of go, but also this charming place, very hospitable. Mm. Yeah. And then on the 21st of July, 2007, the town hosted the first Triple J AWOL concert, which is, um, yeah, like a concert that Mm. they run in various kind of regional remote areas. I imagine they probably haven't done it in a couple of years because of COVID, Mm. but yeah. Yeah. And then in 2016, the town makes national news. And The Guardian writes, enraged son calls police after father burns his prized cannabis plants. Ah, no. An an Australian man has called the police on his father for setting fire to his crop of cannabis plants. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. A bit of cognitive dissonance happening there. Yeah. Police were called to a home in Northern Territory on Tuesday evening by an indignant and enraged, that's a quote, Mm -hmm. young man who said he'd had a fight with his dad, and then this is a quote from, like, the duty superintendent. As retribution, his father burnt the son's prized cannabis plants in a bonfire on the property. The son felt this was wrong and reported the matter to police. Uh, Officers attended the Hunty-Doo residence and confirmed the accusation before questioning whether the young man knew it was against the law to possess cannabis. Mm. Yeah. He seemed to believe that the destruction of the same was far worse than the possession in the first instance. <laughs> no charges have been laid. <laughs> oh, and then it's already cops, gone. Yeah, this cop on the record says the evidence has been destroyed along with his reputation. <laughs> Wow. According to police, the son had been fighting with his father since moving from interstate a short time ago. He has now moved in with other relatives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a tale. Yeah. So, you know, rice didn't work and <laughs> tropical fruit didn't work, but cannabis apparently grows <laughs> <was> quite well. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah. And then in 2017, Humpty Doo was featured in the reality TV show Instant Hotel. It is on Netflix. I love this show. Everyone should watch it. I have never. Um, 
Mm-hmm. This is the definition from Wikipedia, the synopsis mm-hmm. from Wikipedia. The series follows homeowners who have transformed their homes into hotels and are individually judged by each other to receive the highest scores with the winner to win an ultimate prize. So essentially it's like Airbnb places. Oh, okay. And But they all stay at each other's. And so it's like my kitchen rules format. Ah, but, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Humpty Doo is episode one. And if you want to see footage of the hotel in full force – I recommend watching season one, episode one of Instant Hotel on Netflix. Okay. Enjoy. Oh, mm. I will. Yeah, it's easy <laughs> reality TV. Like it's just mm. fun. On the 4th of June 2019, a mass shooting occurs in Darwin. So four people are killed in the incident and another person is injured. Um, a lot of info about the shooting actually still remains unknown to the public because the case is still Mm. rolling because it was quite recent and COVID's pushed delays and there's been legal fees that have pushed delays, but also this kind of thing is an extremely rare event Mm. in Australia. So, yeah, yeah, the media ones are kind of, I don't know, have the processes in place to like interrogate it as much as usual. But, yeah, so the shooter, Benjamin Hoffman, had actually been charged with speeding in Humpty Doo the day that this happened, Mm. kind of on his way to the CBD, and he was pulled over next to the big boxing crock. There you go. Yeah. Um, And there's also all these stories that have been recorded by the media that locals had noticed this person who was spending time there during the day and was Mm. loitering and was potentially looking for someone before heading into the CBD Mm. to commit the crimes that he then committed. And so there's still a bit of a mystery around like what happened in Humpty Doo before. Mm. Grim. Before. Mm, Yeah. But then on a um, much happier note, Mm -hmm. earlier this month, Jess, on the 5th of August, 2021, Mm -hmm. a local man broke the Guinness World Record for the loudest burp. (laughs) How is that measured? And, like, had he been practising? Is it just something that, like... He had been. He'd been trying. He attempted it a few years ago as well. Like, Mm. he's been trying for years. Yeah. And everyone's like, like, oh, Neville, burping Neville. Is it Neville? He's been working towards this. Yep. His name is, is Neville Sharp. So it's a different Neville, different not the Neville. one that, okay. No, I know. Wild, right? Because mm. it must event- have just been over time that like his friends and family are just like, man, that's a loud burp, and then it's yeah. gone, I wonder. Yeah, probably at the Humpty Doo Hotel. Mm. Like there's one hotel, there's one place to yeah. drink publicly, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, the event was broadcast on Darwin ABC Radio. Amazing. Yeah, and ABC Radio Darwin wrote – Neville Sharp has broken the world record for the loudest burp conducted to the rigorous specifications of the Australian Book of Records, Nev's 112.4 decibel belch beat the previous Guinness record of 109.9 decibels held since 2009 by the UK's Paul Hun. It's been a long road from the for the man from Humpty Doo, famous for, quote, liking beer. Mm-hmm. These days, the town is known Australia-wide and brings in tourists nationally and internationally due to its memorable name and convenient location. <laughs> oh. Yeah. But yeah, Neville and Paul have had this burp off 
mm-hmm. for about a decade, over a decade, and Neville finally won only a few weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. Good on him. Yeah. It's, you know, that's a nice way to spend your time, isn't it? Harmless. Yeah. Yeah. And so these days the town, yeah, is known. Yeah. Australia-wide and internationally. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, with a name like Humpty Doo, that's going to stick in your brain. Mm. But let's talk about the hotel for a moment. Mm-hmm. So previously in Darwin, we walked past this restaurant um, in the CBD and it said like the Humpty Doo Barra special. And my colleague who I was working with and my friend Nathan, who was a listener of the podcast, hello, um, he was like, hang on, is Humpty Doo an actual place? And I was like, doll, what do you mean? Like, yes, it's it's famous. Like it's, And he was like, I thought it was just like whoop whoop. Like, you know, go on a whoop whoop. Mm. And I think whoop whoop was a place as well. But anyway. I think so too. Anyway. I think maybe not anymore. Yeah. But, you know, it's used as a yeah, yeah. beyond yeah. the black he was stone. like, yeah, because he was working with another colleague on another show and she had said, oh, yeah, the hubby's out on Humpty Doo this evening. And he just thought that he just went, oh, yeah. Like She doesn't know where he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he's actually just in Humpty Doo. Mm. Anyway. So it's a real place. <laughs> it's a real place. Cut to... I'm like, we have to go. Like, we can't go to Darwin and not go to the Humpty Doo Hotel. Like, it's a thing. Like, you have to go. And even when you walk around, all of these locals have the singlet. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a thing. Yeah. Um, it would be like going to Brisbane and never going to South Bank or Mount Cutha or, yeah, silly. Mm. Or Sydney and, like, the Opera House. It's the Opera House of Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> Just maybe a bold statement. But anyway. Mm. <laughs> And so if you go to the Humpty Doo Hotel website, it says, world-famous Humpty Doo Hotel. They even wrote songs about us. Over 40 years of stories, horses, bulls, bankers and bikers enjoying the Humpty Doo Hotel. Drop in and enjoy our hospitality. Interesting little list. Yep. Bankers, bikers. Yeah, and they do actually have an area where you can ride up on your horse or your buffalo and order a beer like you can tie it up and yeah on your buffalo (laughs) i didn't see an action well the bloke that we met at the crocodiles his name was Mm. wild man he Mm -hmm. told us that he's seen it wow happen yeah i don't know if he was exaggerating or not but that's what he said i wouldn't be surprised yeah i wouldn't be surprised either way Um, they also claim to have the world's biggest set of water buffalo horns above the bar. They don't, but they claim <laughs> that. Uh, and they say on their website as well, horses in the front bar and plenty of territory characters have helped Humpty Doo become the most famous town in the world. We are also known for our exaggerating, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> so, yeah, the legend of right. the thing is much bigger than the actual yeah. thing. Mm. Yeah. Yep. They also say the world-famous Humpty Doo Hotel Bottle Shop, (laughs) the only drive-through bottle shop on the Arnhem Highway, and it's a pretty long highway even by the top-end standards. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They sell a dish called the Trio Burger where you get three burgers and one's buffalo, one's barra, and one's crocodile, served with chips and salad, of course. Yum. Are they like Mm – sliders or is it full burgers um i did not order that so i can't confirm okay. but what i wouldn't did you be surprised order? either way <laughs> i had a what did i have i had the fish and chips so i had the barra mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I had the hump to do barra. Um, and it's funny that you asked this, Jess, because Nathan actually tried the croc burger because he's never had crocodile and I made him eat it. And mm. I actually recorded his first impressions of Humpty Doo as well as him trying crocodile for the first time. I'm here with Nathan Sibthorpe, a friend and colleague. How would you describe yourself, Nathan, professionally? Professionally, I'm, mm. I'm a theatre artist. Yep, okay, so we're going to get a dramaturgical review of the Humpty <laughs> Doo Hotel. Um, I've basically dragged him here along with our stage manager, Jeremy. Say hello, Jeremy. Hi, Maddie. Thank you. Uh, Nathan is a fan of the podcast but may not be now that I've dragged him here to do this. What are your first impressions of the hotel? I think I was just expecting something bigger because you kept calling it the famous Humpty Doo Hotel and we've pulled up and I didn't quite clock that we had arrived. It's kind of the size of a petrol station. I think I was picturing something that might be like a larger architectural presence or something that had a bit of a, you know, I don't know, a bit more distinct energy about it. But <laughs> we're, we're kind of just sitting in a veranda by the side of a road. Um, I will confirm that Nathan did start walking in a weird direction and I had to kind of non-verbally guide him back and I was like, I don't know if he knows where he's going. It is just that small building over there. Um, How would you describe the vibe of the place? It's not hostile, but I I don't feel entirely like I fit in, (laughs) in a sense. Um, Just uh, as a follow-up question, um, have you felt like you fit in anywhere that we've been since we arrived in the Northern Territory? <laughs> yeah, in a city. We went to a hipster burger joint. I felt pretty at home there. Okay, that's an uh, important context. Yeah. Yeah. Look, Nathan is wearing an outfit that is different to everyone else's, just to be clear. Um, I just didn't quite realise how earthy the, the palette would be. I've, I've kind of come mm-hmm. for something a bit more tropical than, than what this is. Mm-hmm. We are in the desert, just so you know. Yes. So. I'm slowly realising that. Yeah. We saw a whirly wind before and it was Nathan's first experience. Um, how did you feel about that? What, would you, what would you rate that whirly wind out of 10? That was very exciting. That was, a, that was like a solid nine. I thought that was like a rare phenomenon. Like, whoa, do we need to stop the car? Like, do we need to report this? I, I was very excited about that moment. Do I contact the tornado chasers? Yeah, like, is, is there a hotline for this? Call Helen Hunt. We found a twister. <laughs> it was about a metre meter high, maybe a metre and a half. Yeah, but it, it had a really distinct energy. I mean, same. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Nathan, yeah. first crocodile burger, what do you think? I'm I'm enjoying it. It's strange. I can't quite place it. It has a kind of strange seafood sort of vibe. Is that is that normal? Is that how it's meant yeah. to? Yeah. 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 Is it halfway between fish and chicken? Yeah. Yeah. It's halfway between fish and chicken. There That's correct. Go. That's very accurate. Do you regret it, or are you are you glad you've done it? No, I'm I'm happy so far. I'm going to finish it. I'd do it again. Amazing. There you go. Straight from the horses now. <laughs> That's yeah. That paints a picture nicely. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And crocodile. I remember eating it in primary school. Like there was, yeah. I don't know why, like one day at school we had like emu and crocodile and kangaroo. I had it at Nadoc Week in Musgrave Park. I think that was the first time I had it. Mm. Um, it's delicious because yeah. it was just kind of like cooked yeah, in butter time. and it is like fishy chicken. Yeah, you got to know how to cook it properly though. I imagine it would be really rubbery if you did it the Yeah, I didn't, obviously didn't cook it for myself. No. One day. <laughs>
one day I will attempt for no reasons other than just to mm. say I did it. <laughs> I do not have the same dream. <laughs> no. So that's the Humpty Doo Hotel. I liked it. I had a great time. Mm. <laughs> I bought the jumper. Uh, mm-hmm. I considered buying more merch and then I was like, Maddie, calm down. <laughs> uh, yep. Glad I went. Great. And so, yeah. Uh, The last thing I want to mention, though, is a bit more mysterious and spooky. So from September 2009 to December 2009, the numbers station Cherry Ripe is believed to have been broadcast from Humpty Doo until it discontinued. What? what? You're probably wondering what a numbers station is, Jessica. Mm, Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. A number station, according to Wikipedia, is a shortwave radio station characterized by broadcasts of formatted numbers, which are believed to be addressed to intelligence officers operating in foreign countries. Ah. Spies, Mm. secret spy codes, and most stations have a set time schedule or patterns. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, this station was called Cherry Ripe because it actually used several bars from a folk song called Cherry Ripe as its mm. kind of interval signal and that would be its thing to be like, yep, we're about to broadcast and then it would broadcast a series of numbers spoken by a female voice. Spooky. Mm-hmm. And the final number in each group is at a higher pitch um, and so basically it is likely that this was used to communicate messages to undercover agents. Interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Undercover in Humpty Doo. Mm. Well, yeah, in in some part of Northern Territory. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so the first known use of number stations was during World War One, um, and a lot of this was over Morse code. But yeah, they became quite prolific during the Cold War era for obvious reasons. But mm. they they still exist around the world. Like it's it's not like this. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's mm. a real known thing. And it is thought that the um, this particular station, Cherry Ripe, was potentially controlled by the British Secret Service because there was a very similar station called um, the Lincolnshire Poacher, which was also which also used a folk song and then had these numbers broadcast with a very similar female voice, like it's a synthesized voice, and so mm. people think that it's probably the same people and that one was from the 1970s until 2008 whereas Cherry Ripe started in the 1960s and was broadcast from Guam Mm. but then moved to Humpty Doo for its last few months and like both were decommissioned in 2008 and 2009. Interesting. Yeah, pretty cool and also spooky. Mm. Yeah. So Humpty Doo has this kind of like vibe of just it, it is upside down. Yeah, it's just a, you know, what like a there weird are collection things. of occurrences. Yeah, yeah, and different countries being involved in different ways and the CSIRO experimenting but then spies potentially using it as a radio base and because the Northern Territory has got a, a quite a large um, military presence from mm. Australia but also the US and the UK and stuff like that because of its location strategically it is very very well placed for those kinds of things which is also why it was 
most under threat during World War II compared mm. to other places in Australia. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just an odd place that's also still very inviting and hospitable, mm. I think. So, yeah, that's yeah, the that tale of Humpty Doo. Yeah, come along, see a crocodile, mm. see an eagle. That'll be nice. Eat a crocodile. Day. Yeah. Eat a buffalo. Delish. I've never eaten Not buffalo. Not a whole buffalo. No. Yeah. Beef. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good, much. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for sharing. <laughs> no worries. My sources are ABC Radio Darwin, ABC News, SBS News, Wikipedia, MSN News, AussieTowns.com, and the Humpty Doo Hotel.com website. Great. Um, and we had said that we would do the nut bush this week, but we pushed it to next week because we've got we've got a hot tip. Um, someone we yep. need to talk to special, before we do that. A special one. guest. So yep. it will be ne- the nut bush next week. Uh, and you can mm-hmm. follow us on Instagram at Australianorama um, to see the many pictures that Maddie will put up. So many, mm. so many. Thank you.